Is Elon Musk shearing a pig? We hear lots of squealing over at Twitter, but I doubt there'll be much wool. I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. And it's probably the last Deep Dive you'll hear for a couple of weeks because I am doing a lot of traveling over the holidays, over the Thanksgiving holiday, which should be two days, but for me, it's two weeks. So if you want to, I've got a whole lot of stuff lined up, Buddy Dives, Dive Master. I'm trying to get another Fat Mitch in the can. If you want to make sure you hear all of that and commercial-free, subscribe to Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform. I'll be sure to load that up with everything I got. I may have, um, well, I should say, I'm working hard on a hall pass, which I have not yet gotten for um, meeting people in England. So I don't know if that's going to happen, but if you might be interested in having an English breakfast cocktail with me, or even if you just know where I can get an English breakfast cocktail, that's a very specific thing. If you know where I can get one of those in London, or you would want to meet me for one if I can get that hall pass, please email me at Show at gmail.com. So now on with the show. My headline today is America's Ministry of Truth Hasn't Gone Away. Washington Hasn't Abandoned Its Plan to Control Social Networks. Leaked documents reveal the paused disinformation governance board is back online. Now, that's a Russia Today, an RT headline. It's definitely like... There was these leaked documents, and then inter- inter- The Intercept wrote a big article about these leaked documents. And I went back, and oh my gosh, did I fall into a rabbit hole today? Oh, I can't even. <laughs> oh, so I read like so many Department of Homeland Security documents and articles about all the feds and Facebook. And I mean, it was crazy. I have an article here today that I'm really going to get into from The Intercept, that article, the the document, the leaked document, like not leaked documents, other regular stuff that's totally out in the open. Something from, I think it was Mint Press. I've got a Newsweek article. There's just an overwhelming amount of evidence that the government is planning to and has been cooperating with social media, directing it, populating it with its employees, I want to get into some of that, but I think it's interesting that this is happening just when Elon Musk takes over Twitter, acts like he's going to make it this public square, he's going to de-censor people, but at the same time, he says it's not going to be a free-for-all hellscape. And furthermore, he's blowing it up, he's firing people, he burdened it with debt like you wouldn't believe, which, like, there's a lot of screwy stuff. So the firing, Facebook's firing people, Salesforce is firing people, Redfin is firing people. It's it seems to be in the normal course of business, but somehow I feel like this guy is going to go in there and look like he's blowing up Twitter and that it is a free for all hellscape or, you know, maybe he'll get cold feet and, and start regulating. Maybe he'll say, you know, just like Obama was kind of against the war against brown people in the Middle East. And then he gets in there and he starts dropping a lot of bombs and people all like a lot of conservatives will say, well, once he got in there, he realized how important it was to do that. You know, he's they opened the books and he saw, you know, maybe Elon Musk will say, oh, no, now I get it. Now I get it. Or maybe he'll just blow it up and the world will beg for government regulation of social media 
They'll rewrite Section 230. I don't know what the PSYOP of Elon Musk is up to right now, but I just, I feel like he may be sowing the seeds for making it look like he blew this up, that he's being stupid about it. One thing he did when he was firing all these people is he said, hey, we're losing $4 million a day. Now, that's not what Facebook said. It's not what Twitter said. But I quickly did the math because he just took on many billions of dollars worth of debt onto Twitter. It's like, it wasn't exactly a leveraged buyout, but you can put debt on it to buy out the equity, which it was a public company. So that's what he did. And it's throwing off now. It used to throw off $50 million of interest a year. Now it's throwing off a billion dollars of interest a year, which if you do the math is around 3 million a day. So he's saying we're sucking up 4 million a day. Well, if 3 million of it is his interest, that makes him look like the bad guy, right? So at the same time that you're seeing Facebook and Twitter, uh, Facebook and um, Salesforce and everything, fire people. And there are reasons. I mean, I think that there are there may be nefarious reasons. Maybe they're firing all these people and later they'll hire back people from India who work remotely or replace everybody with AI. I don't know. But what they're saying does on its face hold water. They overhired during this kind of tech boom while everybody was locked down and they thought it was the ushering in of a whole new world, which of course would have happened if the people could tolerate it. I always feel like they push you as far as you can. they can and then they give you breathing room when people are really jumping off buildings and stuff. So maybe they did expect it to be more whatever. But I thought it was significant that both Jack Dorsey from Twitter and Zuckerberg from Facebook said that it was their fault personally. You know, I just feel like they're setting it up to be Elon Musk's fault personally. Well, when I screwed up, I admitted it. And just specifically on Saturday, Dorsey who was the co-founder and CEO of Twitter. Personally, I think that he, I know he was a model. I feel like he's always just been a face job. But regardless, he, he says stuff that I think he's told to say. He suggested that the firings were necessary because he had expanded too fast. This is a quote from Dorsey. I own the responsibility for why everyone is in this situation. I grew the company too quickly. I apologize for that. Okay, so he is taking responsibility for what other people might have said. Hey, it was, you know, everybody in the industry did it and the economy didn't turn out the way we thought. But at the same time, Zucker, just like over the last couple of days, said uh, this did not play out the way I expected. Not only has online commerce returned to prior trends prior to COVID, but the macroeconomic downturn, increased competition, and ads signal loss have caught ads signal loss. I don't know what that is, but I'm sure somebody does. Have caused our revenue to be much lower than I'd expected. I got this wrong and I take responsibility for that. So these guys are taking responsibility and I think it's to force Musk to take responsibility or to look like a blamer when clearly he has some responsibility here. If he's saying it's the $4 million a day, I would say he is already responsible. And Musk has always felt like a psyop to me. He was just too brash. He got away with things that were absolute crimes. And it's not like he's John Corzine and can just do whatever he wants. He was absolutely uh, responsible for breaking SEC rules. He was getting banned from um, 
I don't know what, tweeting, I think maybe. (laughs) I don't know, but he does so many things. The first time I smelled a rat from him was a long time ago, years and years ago, where he said uh, he doesn't believe in government regulation, small government guy, but one thing the government should be responsible for is AI. They have to regulate AI. AI is super, super scary. And I remember thinking like, oh, when some guy who you totally think is this massive libertarian, then he says, except for this one thing, like that's a big red flag to me. And then, uh, but there's other stuff too. One is that he made his fortune getting billions of dollars of subsidies from the government and maybe not just direct subsidies, but just being picked as a winner and getting those subsidies means that nobody else can really even compete with you. It's not like everybody's in the square and he gets a little extra money. He's the only one who could have given that thing loft because it wasn't commercially viable as a startup. So he had to get a lot of benefits from government. And I feel like, you know, I felt the same way with Trump. Like his dad made the money with public housing. He made the money getting like, uh, or he should have been making money, getting a casino license that he really shouldn't have gotten, especially while his sister was a federal judge. And he did not qualify because of his associations with some mob type people, but he got it. He um, got that DC post office, which people sued over because it just didn't make sense for him to have won that bid. Just when they're making money, using the government through the back channels that, and then they're successful. I don't feel like this is going to be your savior, but like Travis Kalanick, who was the equivalent of Elon Musk, but at Uber, he crashed and burned because he stood up to the feds who wanted to use his system for surveillance. And that was that. (laughs) So I, I think that somebody who's in there, And then also, like, one of the first things Elon Musk did was direct people to a conspiracy theory about Paul Pelosi um, being attacked by his male prostitute, which I thought was completely ridiculous. But it showed that this guy is reckless. I mean, and it doesn't make sense for someone that reckless. Uh, A, he's not treated the same as other people. Most people who are that reckless get laughed off the stage. But for someone to be that that hands-on, that front-facing that wheels off, as it were, and also be the CEO of Twitter, be the CEO of Tesla at the same time. He's still the CEO, I think, of SpaceX. He's He just gave up, I guess, the boring company, but he's the president of the Musk Foundation. I can't imagine this guy being the CEO of one of those companies. I mean, I could see maybe being a fundraising guy or being the engineer or being the founder. Same thing with Zuckerberg. The, like, to have a guy have all those roles be the kid who dropped out of Harvard and had this idea and was super social and was in a garage and then built the company up and then got all the funding and then made it a super mega company and now is one of the biggest companies in the world and he's the guy who goes before Congress and he's making all these calls. I just don't believe it. There's just one person is not responsible for all of that and it's not the same person every stage of the game. So I just, you know, and he acts like he's this big entrepreneur, but his company is extremely <laughs> embedded in probably the defense industry, if I had to guess, where it really, where its roots really lie. But any of that kind of sensor stuff, like the, all those self-driving things came out of the Department of Defense anyway. So whatever, there's a lot of ways that he benefited from that. And I just, I feel like this thing is a setup. And I think the litmus test will be just like with Trump, like at the end of Musk's sojourn at Twitter or oversight of Twitter, regardless of what the excuses are. Oh, well, it was a catastrophe. It was COVID, whatever, whatever. All I'm saying is 
Do you really think that at the end of Musk's oversight of Twitter, we are going to have a freer speech environment? We are going to have a better First Amendment? (laughs) You know, I feel like he wants to make the public square Twitter. That's bad. We want the public square to be physical. We want to actually see people. Because a lot of those people, a lot of that stuff that goes on online is not real. Now, he said he's going to ban anyone who posts under a different name. And by coincidence, this was when people were posting under his name as a joke. But a lot of these people are not real. Like, you do not want the public square to be virtual. It's it's so... I mean, that is one of the purposes of Google as to the extent it was founded by the NSA, which was this crazy expose in this this online magazine called Quartz, saying that it was in order to create these birds of a feather network where you might even be the only human being in it. It might be all AI or bots or feds or whatever. So that's why how I fell into this massive rabbit hole where I'm reading these articles about how the social media coordinates with the government or is basically controlled by it. Now, Facebook arose the day like LifeLog, a federal operation that was identical to it, closed. So we've all kind of thought that that's how it works. But it how it actually is working day to day was pretty well laid out in all these articles I read. First of all, Twitter and Facebook both claim that they do not coordinate with outside agencies. That's what they say, but they say it very specifically. There's an intercept quote here that says, we do not coordinate with other entities when making content moderation decisions, and we independently evaluate content in line with the Twitter rules, a spokesman for Twitter wrote in a statement to the intercept. Okay, so as far as that goes, it's probably true. They don't coordinate with outside entities and they just follow the rules. But if the employees are feds and they are writing the rules, all you have to do is follow the rules. You don't have to coordinate with outside agencies. And that's exactly what's happening. So this was from a different article. It said they're highlighting this guy, Aaron, who is the manager of the He works at Facebook. It says, it is an uncomfortable job for anyone trying to draw the line between harmful content and protecting freedom of speech. It's a balance. Aaron says uh, in a Facebook video, he identifies himself as the manager of the team that writes the rules for Facebook that determines what is acceptable and what is not. So him and his team effectively decide what content the 3 billion people see and what they do not see. That's that curation function. And this guy, until July 2019, was at the CIA. He was a senior analytical manager at the agency, and he became a senior product policy manager for misinformation, that's a mouthful, at Meta. But he was at the CIA for 15 years, and he was highly influential. Listen to what he did. He prepared and this is crazy. He prepared and edited the president of the United States daily brief, writing and overseeing intelligence analysis to enable the president and senior U.S. officials to make decisions on the most critical national security issues, especially on the impact of influence operations on social movements, security and democracy. Now, they didn't say anything like this in the Facebook video, but 
This is really important what his function was because that's called stovepiping. And when I used to do more reading and stuff about Colonel House and Woodrow Wilson and the beginning of the Council of Foreign Relations and how they could manipulate FDR into whatever they wanted because all they had to do was control the State Department or even just the one person that interacts with FDR because if he only saw information that was given to him by these people. Now, this is a guy who's in a wheelchair, so he was dependent on other people coming to him. If only he, if he saw only the information they gave him, he would make only the decisions that fell out of that information, which is why the CFR and stuff always said, we just need to control the State Department. That's what this guy was doing. He was stovepiping the president for 15 years, it looks like. So... I mean, that's the guy. So, so he's the one who's curating not only the rules. It's not, I don't think it's as important the rules about what gets taken down and put up. I think what's really important is what gets pushed up and pushed down. I mean, I never get taken off, but I'm totally shadow banned from everything. And I tried to advertise something on Facebook. I think I wanted to drive people to like a live stream I was doing and it wouldn't let me. It said, you're your stuff is like misinformation about elections. And and the thing I was trying to advertise had absolutely nothing to do with that. But I think I've been targeted because of the Garland experience and that did nearly get me thrown off YouTube, but they don't actually throw me off. They just, I just get no, I just get no access. Let's see, it says here like how, yeah, 3 billion people use it. And that is the single greatest the single most influential news source in human history by a lot is what this article is is saying. So these guys don't need to coordinate with any outside agency. It's just riddled with people from these outside agencies. And then even if those people were all to leave, the rules are written by them. And then I remembered what we were talking about with Jeremy Kuzmarov, like on Monday or last, last time I talked to him, maybe it was last week, where he had done these articles on how the government, our U.S., like anti-corruption stuff, will put businessmen in jail, in jail, domestic and foreign, or maybe mostly foreign. I think it was just foreign. But they will put them in jail if they don't like their practices, if they, if they feel like their competitiveness. That's why I think that Huawei chick was um, detained for years in Canada. It was just, it's just a uh, blackmail. <laughs> it's hostage taking. And they can, I mean, Facebook is this giant monopoly. Yes, they, they will benefit from regulation. Like I think that the big, big guys, incumbents always benefit from regulatory barriers to entry because they're on the inside. They have the money. They know how to do it. And startups who want to compete with them on the basis of free speech and stuff would have to build this entire regulatory apparatus. Very unlikely to do. But Facebook has been calling its own shots. Like it's supposedly saying, oh, we're self-regulate, self-regulate. I think Elon Musk will finally end that. And I think Facebook would like it if it were out, you know, regulated from the outside. I mean, I personally think Facebook is a government entity and always has been. However, to the extent that it's a public company and they have to answer to shareholders and in order to keep that facade alive, they have to run it like a company so they could even use as an excuse if the chips hit the fan they have to cooperate or the government will make it hard for them 
Uh, but listen to this other guy who works there. There's just so many crazy things I put. I have so many show notes because I just, oh my gosh, I read so many articles today that it'll be hard even to sift through the links that I have, but they will be on monicasdeepdives.com. So here is Scott Stern. Uh, he is, all right, he was a targeting officer at the CIA, targeting officer at the CIA, rising to become chief of targeting his role was to help select the targets for U.S. drone strikes. <laughs> Today, he is a senior manager for risk intelligence for Meta's misinformation and militia a- malicious actors program. So he's he is he's going to drone you. He's going to drone your Facebook page. Um, and the article, which was in it's I think it's called Monthly Report, but it looks like it was an article that they reprinted from Mint Press. It says, hopefully he's more accurate at Facebook than at the CIA, where the government's own internal assessments show that at least 90 percent of Afghans killed in drone strikes were innocent civilians. That's very sad. But like it is chilling that this guy is is the chief of targeting at Facebook. That is messed up. Oh, my gosh. That article, that was a good one, that says uh, Facebook has recruited dozens of individuals from the CIA, as well as many more from other agencies like the FBI, the Department of Defense. These are hires primarily in highly politically sensitive sectors such as trust, security, and content moderation, to the point where it becomes difficult to see where the U.S. national security state ends and Facebook begins. TikTok is flooded with NATO officials. I did not know that. And former FBI agents abound at Twitter. Reddit is led by a former war planner for the NATO think tank, the Atlanta Council. But the sheer scale of infiltration at Facebook blows these away. It is utterly swarming with spooks. Wow. And I remember Binkley played me a clip of a chick, Yael Eisen. The hell was her name? Hold on. I might have erased it. I had her name here. Her first name was Yael, Y-A-E-L. And she was like an unabashed CIA, big time CIA agent who was in Facebook running some political thing. And I went to look her up to see like what she was up to, what position she was in. And she had like quit within one year because she said they are not interested in protecting us. Um, They are in it for the money or something ridiculous. So anyway, whatever, she's gone. But uh that was just some crazy stuff coming out of the whole Facebook thing. All right, I have some more. Let's see how more I can get. Oh, okay. So, so then I went to like government stuff itself. And this is interesting. This whole thing started with, what's it called? The Disinformation Governance Board. Okay, like I think they might have thrown that out there as like, I don't know if you call that a red herring or what, but it made people crazy and then it was immediately closed down. It was like massive censorship thing. And I don't know if it was to flush out people objecting because now they're saying that they're going to go hand in hand and try to find the people who objected and get them on board with the new initiative, which is going to be carried out by the Cyber Infrastructure Security Agency, established by Trump, by the way which is totally going to carry out these censorship. And and it's not just censorship, but it's also propagandizing. But the woman who was running that DGB or whatever, temporarily or whatever, for as long as it lived, she stepped down saying that she was a victim of misinformation 
and misogyny, misogynistic misinformation. So then it clicked for me. I mean, you know, maybe this is obvious, but there are a lot of possible explanations for some of these things, the way trends go. But this seems like really important to me. So now, and when you look at some of these boards and or these positions, like everybody's a person of color or a woman, like everybody, all the face, maybe one white guy, unless you go to the really, really top, like the World Economic Forum, <laughs> and then you see all the white guys. But, but, uh, and I think they do that so that if you attack them, then you're a misogynist or a racist. And if you attack what you're, they're doing, you're also a misogynist or a racist because what they're doing, they say they are doing it on behalf of people of color or women. And this is when my show in Atlanta came in handy because I would have so many people. It was probably the most diverse city in America. And I had people from all walks of life, all races, genders. Um, gender orientation, call in and, you know, express individual opinions, um, many of which were, I don't trust the government, obviously, because of all they've done. So one of the things that they're really doing here is targeting how to keep minority communities from believing misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation. So misinformation is a mistake. Disinformation is intentionally bad. Malinformation I know we've talked about this before, but it's just so funny, is real information that is not, is used out of context of the official narrative. So like mask wearing stats or vax stats that don't agree with the official narrative is malinformation. There was something else, subversive data was another thing I saw. Subversive data. So it's data, so it's real, but it's subversive. So when I read this stuff, I realize that they need to couch it all in race and gender, not just to give them an excuse to do it, but to keep anyone from criticizing it. I mean, it's an old trick, but it's it's so central. Let me read. This was from the White House. I've read this to you before, but it just came up as being more interesting to me today or important again. So it's a White House press thing on their on the White House website. The DHS review found that the two most lethal elements of today's domestic terrorism threat are, one, racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists who advocate for the superiority of the white race, and that's just any, I think it's probably any just white person, or any person like (laughs) Kanye, what did he say that thing he said about white lives matter? Yeah, see, that's, he would count, I think. Um, anti and the other thing was anti-government or anti-authority violent extremists, such as militia violent extremists. But are all militia violent extremists? Like militia is in the freaking constitution. <laughs> but anti-government or anti-authority, like I, I mean, this is this is like 1984. I mean, the anti any objection to government. I mean, this is all about the First Amendment, just shutting that stuff down. But anti-authority, like, I feel like, what am I, a kid? And you're my daddy? Like, why is this, why is anti-authority like a, a crime? <laughs> you know, they need to be checked. Read our foundational documents. And and here's what's crazy about this. So, so the chick steps down because of misinformation and misogyny, because everything that anyone says against her is by definition wrong, because she gets to decide what's wrong or not wrong, right? And anybody who objects to her is misogynistic because anyone who disagrees with uh, what she's doing or who she is, is misogynistic. And it reminded me of Cass Sunstein's 
conspiracy theory and Adrian Vermeule, I think his name was, conspiracy theory document where he said conspiracy theories are so difficult to deal with because they have this self-sealing quality that anyone who disagrees with them is in on the conspiracy. And this is a chick who actually did say that the laptop, the Hunter Biden laptop, was the product of a Trump-driven conspiracy and not real. So she is a conspiracy theorist. I mean, this thing, I think its head is disappearing up into its own butthole at this point. So according to a draft copy of the DHS Quadrennial Homeland Security Review, the strategies in coming years will include targeting inaccurate information on a wide range of topics, including, so this is important, I think, the origins of the COVID pandemic and the efficacy of COVID vaccines. So this is August 2022. They're forward-looking, they're going to suppress information on the origins of the pandemic. And it's just coming out that it was definitely manufactured. And that's what I said when I was sick with it. I was like, I can feel the chemist here. The efficacy of the vaccines. Wow, they're going to, I mean, whatever. It's out. Racial justice. Inaccurate information on racial justice. And the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan? and the nature of U.S. support to Ukraine. It says the challenge is particularly acute in marginalized communities, which are often the targets of false or misleading information, uh, such as on voting procedures targeting people of color. So I think they have to target people of color because they are the hardest people to propagandize. I would, uh, or I would say, I don't want to generalize, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I have heard that it's a theory anyway that people who come from countries um, like Hispanic countries and don't speak English don't get as propagandized. I think they're really like this stuff actually has their websites that propagandize people about COVID and election. All that information are in Spanish also. So they are getting hit with the propaganda. But the African-American community in Atlanta was very resistant to government propaganda. I mean, I, you know what? I have to say it was very age specific. So it seemed like middle-aged guys would call me, middle-aged men and women would call me. But now I think the younger generation is, you know, homogeneous throughout the country in their susceptibility. If you're born and raised in this country right now, and you're 20 years old and you're a native English speaker, I feel like you are not escaping the propaganda no matter what. Like, I think everybody's equally propagandized now. Uh, but that's because of stuff like this. That's having NATO and TikTok. Like, that's exactly why. But the thing that was weird about this as a leaked document is that it was redacted. Like, there was redactions in it. And I'm like, it's leaked and redacted? <laughs> okay. I mean, I believe it, but... Ah, uh, whatever. So, let's see. Is there any more I've got here on this? stuff? Oh, yeah. This chick, Jen Easterly. Biden's appointed director of this thing that came under the Trump administration, the the Cyber Infrastructure Security Act, something like that. She said she would switch shift resources to combat the spread of dangerous forms of information on social media. Quote, one could argue we're in the business of critical infrastructure and the most critical infrastructure is our cognitive infrastructure. 
So building that resilience to misinformation and disinformation, I think, is incredibly important. So they're really, they're studying, oh, did I tell you about this, this Christchurch thing that Biden, one of the things that he did in an effort to resist whatever, fight domestic terrorism, signed up on the Christchurch call. And that, it's number one, it's an international organization of like 120 countries signed up for it. And one of the main initiatives, the first thing on the website, is that uh, they are studying how algorithms affect the information ego ecosystem. So that's something that's really happening right now. It's like, you think they know it all. They don't know it all. They're, they're figuring it all out, but they're studying it intensely. They're running experiments, from what I can tell, on how information spreads. I think that's how I got my WordPress site taken down. It's like they put a fake story on the BBC, and anyone who picked up on it uh, got taken down. And I thought that's, you know, I thought what they were actually doing, and I still think, was seeing how fast misinformation or disinformation or real true information or whatever spreads you know, you know, almost like that, that radiate radioactive dye. Sometimes you have to swallow to do certain kinds of like imaging for medical purposes. You know, I feel like they were just making the world swallow this dye to see how far it went into the capillaries and, and lymph nodes and stuff. Okay. Yeah. So this is a lot, but I think it's worth reading. Um, there's a straight out of this intercept article. In June, the DHS Advisory Committee of CISA, this agency, which includes Twitter's head of legal policy, trust, and safety, Vijaya Gada, and, I mean, I don't know if that person's still there since Elon Musk cleaned house over the past couple of days, but it said, uh, University of, and also University of Washington Professor Kate Starbird, they drafted a report to the CISA director calling for an expansive role for that agency in shaping the information ecosystem. The report called on the agency to closely monitor social media platforms of all sizes. This is the Twitter guy is, doing, is saying this, among other people. To closely monitor social media platforms of all sizes, mainstream media, cable news, hyper-partisan media, talk radio, and other online resources— they argued that the agency needed to take steps to halt the spread of false and misleading information with a focus on information that undermines key democratic institutions, such as the courts, or by other sectors, such as the financial system or public health measures. So you just can't object to anything. This is not self-governance. This is not democracy. This is such a curate. They're stovepiping the world. So it goes on to say that CISA should invest in external research to evaluate the efficacy of interventions, specifically with research looking at how alleged disinformation can be countered and how quickly messages spread. See, this is what I think. They recommend the use of third-party information-sharing nonprofits as a, quote, clearinghouse for information to avoid the appearance of government propaganda. <laughs> Which it is. Oh, my gosh. Okay. To accomplish this, the draft quadrennial review calls for DHS to leverage advanced data analytics technology, go figure, hire and train skilled specialists to better understand how threat actors, and that's vaguely defined, use online platforms to introduce and spread toxic narratives, vaguely defined, not defined, intended to inspire or incite violence, defined 
as well as work with NGOs, non-governmental organizations, and other parts of civil society to build resilience to the impacts of false information. Now, if you believe that, oh, the definitions that they want you to believe of those words, then, oh yeah, maybe it's fine, even though maybe not. But all they're really talking about is building resistance to any narrative that is not consistent with the official narrative. Remember, anti-government stuff is at the heart of this. Is the is the one of the two main goals here is to quash, squash anti-government uh, information, feelings, narrative. I don't know. So yeah, there's a there's a response here. Thre- uh, editorial comment: Threat actors posing risks is to vaguely define critical infrastructure in areas as broad as, quote, trust in government, public health, elections, and financial markets has people concerned. It's no matter which your political allegiance, we should be concerned about government efforts to pressure private social media platforms into reaching the government's preferred decisions about what content we can see online. Any government request to social media platforms to review or remove certain content should be made with extreme transparency. I would suggest they might even need have to have a, a warrant or the equivalent of warrant. But instead, all you have to do is fill out a form. Like anyone with a government email address can fill out a takedown for, uh, request <laughs> from Facebook. <laughs> ah, so crazy. According to DHS meeting minutes from March, there are 80 individuals focused on curbing subversive data utilized to drive a wedge between the populace and the government. I mean, is the government some monolith? I thought we had two parties. I thought we had votes. Like, what does the government mean? How, what, what wedge? There is a wedge. It's us versus them. Oh, crap. I bet I, I get, well, I never do seem to get in trouble anymore. I think because they deplatformed me from the stuff that really gave me a lot of uh, breadth. And I think like the reason WSB, like you have to really lock down radio and stuff is that online, like with podcasting and stuff, people are only listening who want to listen who know about you, who like heard it and like, they don't have to listen. But when you're listening to the news traffic and weather, like on the radio on the way home, you hear Eric Erickson, you hear the other person, you hear those viewpoints. It's a push, not a pull. And that, I think that, or having firsthand information or being like extremely charismatic or having influence from other sources, a platform, I think that's what gets people really targeted by (laughs) folks such as Scott Stern. I mean, actually, it just goes on and on. I am not going to uh, keep reading these all these different articles that um, or the documents that came out of there, but there is definitely stuff um, in there that really points to how government actors will identify individuals and content to social media. And it looks like just, they don't even have to demand. It looks like the social media is totally on board with this. They want it. They don't want to have to do it themselves. I expect something will change with Section 230 so that only incumbents will even be uh, have this kind of reach. But there was one last thing that I thought was kind of weird. This is from a Newsweek article, but it just, I was reminded of it because Elon Musk said, nobody who has, uh, who impersonates others will be able to stay. It's a Newsweek article talking about the largest undercover force the world has ever known is the one created by the Pentagon over the past decade. Some 60,000 people now belong to this secret army, many working under masked identities and in low profile, all part of a broad program called 
signature reduction. The force more than 10 times the size of the clandestine elements of the CIA carries out domestic and foreign assignments, both in military uniforms and under civilian cover, in real life and online, sometimes hiding in private businesses and consultancies, some of them household name companies. It says they employ, assume false personas online, employing non-attribution and misattribution techniques to hide who they are and their online presence. They engage in campaigns to influence and manipulate social media. Hundreds work in and for the NSA, but even military intelligence, special ops have developed some kind of web operations that both collect intelligence and tend to the operational security of its very activities. I'm not sure I understood what that meant, but they just get in there and they, I mean, obviously we know there are false accounts, there are bots, whatever, but it's, I, I would say it's 100% our government, like 100%. Yes, when Sarah Silverman makes fun of Elon Musk, that's just a, a, a way that they can start the conversation of whether Elon Musk is going to purge Twitter of the bad guys and unfetter, you know, it's going to take away the censorship and also this subversive or covert propaganda. But but by convincing us he's going to do that, it would give us a false sense of security that we do not have right now. So that's a big thing you have to do is like, I don't trust anything on there. So if I see a troll or a bot or whatever, I just leave it there in my feed because if I erase it or block it or whatever, another one will take its place. So as I get used to it, but I know I'm aware of them and I know that they're there and I can recognize them pretty easily. But if I, all of a sudden, if the whole system kind of changed, if the whole algorithm changed or whatever, and if I believed that there was somebody minding the store that wasn't allowing this, I would be more gullible to the narratives that are pushed at me. And I would be less uh, skeptical of some of the people who interact with me. So I guess my takeaway here is Don't put your hope in anyone who's super, super famous, who's in a position of power and says he's going to use it for you, the little guy. What does he care? And anytime there's like massive amounts of theatrics, like to get your attention, look at me, look at me. Hey, look at me. You know, to me, that is just that is not where the action really is. I mean, I guess, you know, none of this is totally new to anybody. But, you know, funny when I when I go down these rabbit holes. And I look at this stuff, even when it's not new, sometimes just putting the pieces together in a different way just sees, you know, you can see a different angle of the puzzle. You can see what's important and then you can square away, you know, why do they focus on gender and race? Why is Elon Musk saying these things? Like you can kind of square it away. You don't have to waste your time or energy on it anymore. If you feel like, okay, I understand that. And if you're not looking at that, you might actually see what is going on. And sometimes just shining a light gets these things to back down. So, oh, and I wanted to tell you, I'm excited about this. I have a new promo code for True Hemp Science. It's Deep Dive, one word. The Ds are capital. I'm not sure if it's cap sensitive, but it's Deep Dive, one word. And for every $100 purchase, you get a $25 bottle of CBD oil, which these products are so awesome. And, uh, if you spend 150, you get free delivery. So maybe it's, you know, Christmas time. Get get together a package. They have they have good stuff. They have lotions. They have these CBD gummies are so awesome. I I have a testimonial <laughs> uh, from a friend of mine who said, 
Uh, I always thought CBD was bullshit until I tried True Hemp Science gummies. Like, this is literally a text I got. It had absolutely nothing to do with this. It was before I got this promo code or anything. Uh, now I won't go to a movie without eating one first, and it keeps me off booze and on my diet during the week. So uh, I actually, I, that is not me. That's <laughs> definitely speaking for a friend. Uh, however, I can attest to all of those. And uh, the gummies that he was talking about are, I think they're new, like supercharged gummies. These are 25, so I think they have traces of THC in them, but they're mostly just, they're almost entirely CBD. I mean, I think a half is probably, you know, if you just want to sleep well or whatever, but if you are not sure if CBD is like a real thing or not a real thing, I recommend a test run with the gummies. So if you are going to make a $100 purchase there, the gummies are nowhere near that much, but you buy a few things. Use the promo code Deep Dive. That's at truehempscience.com. I hope you, uh, I, hey, send me a testimonial, Monica Perez Show at gmail.com. I am Monica Perez. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media or with someone you think would also enjoy it. And feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. I might be a little out of pocket. A lot of people are probably waiting for me to return some emails. And I am going to do that when I can catch my breath because I'm going to be out of town for a couple of weeks. I will catch up on my emails before then. And I have a lot of content for you while I'm gone. So I don't post every day in the Propaganda Report, but I will post extra stuff in deep dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform. And for the show notes, go to monicasdeepdives.com. <laughs>